There's a lot of hard things happening in the world right now, as you know. Uh, we've got uh, things happening in Afghanistan that are a mess. Uh, Haiti is, uh, there's sections of Haiti that are struggling, not just from the earthquake, but in the government. Uh, our south has really taken a hit when it comes to the hurricanes. There's a lot of things going on, and it can be overwhelming, and there are things maybe that you want to do, and you don't know where to start or how to jump in and help. Uh, I'm sure that you've been praying for, for people, but I wanted to give you a little bit uh, of information on some next steps maybe that you could take if you want to jump in and help. Number one, when it comes to disaster relief, nobody, in my opinion, does it better than Samaritan's Purse. And if you've got somebody else, another organization that, that you trust and support, that's awesome. Uh, but I've seen what Samaritan's Purse is able to do, and I've seen it firsthand. Uh, so there's a quick link on our website if you want to help out either in the south or in Haiti. They're there. They're helping right now. Uh, also, if, if you want to do more than just give money, which is important, uh, but if you want to consider praying about going to actually help, again, Samaritan's Purse, the way they have it organized, they've got all the stuff. If you've got the margin of time and the physical ability uh, you can go on there and find out uh, how to step in and help. You just got to get there and let them know that you're coming and they'll, they have all the stuff to be able to help with cleanup and, and, uh, and rebuild all the equipment, all that. So that's one thing. also wanted to let you know that Chaplain Mark Penfold, uh, who is in charge of the Eagle Commission for our fellowship, has written uh, a letter. I think it's like three pages long, so it's not short, but the letter is about how we, as a church family, can support our veterans who are struggling right now, and especially those combat veterans maybe that were connected to what was going on in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, and they're struggling. Or, I didn't even think about this until I read the letter, but even those who were in Vietnam, the Vietnam combat uh, vets that look at see what just happened and it all has just come flooding back for them and they're they're hurting and they're struggling how can we as a church family step in and minister to those uh, those veterans so it's a really good letter read it uh, if you are a combat veteran that would be willing to just be a listening ear to another veteran who's hurting uh, let me know that and then if I've uh, come across one of our veterans that just needs to talk I'll know who to send them to, all right? The other thing, one last thing that's on the last page, those packets are back here in the, on the back table, by the way. The last page, there's a special prayer night that the Eagle Commission and our missions agency Encompass, they've gotten, they've got together and they're putting together an evening of prayer. It's this Tuesday at 8 p.m., and it's on Zoom. So from anywhere across the United States, I don't know if they've got other people in the world that they've invited to this but the login information on how to do that, if you want to participate in that evening of prayer for Afghanistan this Tuesday, uh, it's on the last page. Now here, don't miss this, please. This is not for you to post on social media. Don't put that information on social media. There's security reasons for that. Uh, this is for you. If you want to participate, the information is on that page. Just keep that uh, for you and your family. Make sense? Everybody shake your hand if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so that, just want to make you aware of those things uh, that we can step into and, uh, and be a part of prayer and giving and, and other ways to support people, okay? So again, a lot of heavy things, I'm sure, on our hearts, and our subject matter today is kind of weighty as well, uh, so I thought maybe we could start off with a little lighthearted game. 
It's going to get heavy as we go, so let's just start off with something a little more lighthearted, a game that I like to call Stand Up and Sit Down. I can tell you're already excited about it. Stand up and sit down. Uh, I, I told my wife about this game. I described it to her, and she's like, that's not going to work. They're going to hate that. So what I'm, what I'm asking of you is to play this game with enthusiasm so that when you see my wife, you can say, that was the best game that we've ever played. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. So anyway, stand up and sit down. Uh, if, uh, if you grew up with a Catholic background, you'd be like, I've played this game before, right? <laughs> you know this game. Different game, different thing. And if you didn't grow up with a Catholic background, that joke made no sense whatsoever. That's okay. All right, so uh, stand up, sit down. It's real easy. <laughs> Are you just going to stand the whole time? Enthusiasm, I love it. My wife is going to be so disappointed that you love this game. All right, so here's the first one. It's real easy. Uh, the, the first one is, do you, if you believe that God is real, that God exists, stand up? All right, pretty easy. All right, sit down. See, see how the game's played? It's not hard. All right, if, uh, if you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, like that's what the Bible teaches, if you believe that's true, stand up. All right, all right, good, sit down. You didn't know you were going to get an uh, exercise this morning, did you? That's all right, hard things. If you believe that Jesus Christ uh, died on the cross as a sacrificial payment for our sin, and as a substitute sacrifice for your sin, for my sin, and rose from the dead three days later. If you believe that's true, stand up. Right. These aren't hard, right? Okay, sit down. Good. You're doing great. You're doing great. How about this one? If you believe that the Bible is literally the Word of God, that it's not just some ancient words written by people that we've never met, and they just wrote whatever it was that they felt like, but this is actually the Word of God that has authority over our lives. If you believe that is true about the Bible, stand up. You guys are doing great. Go ahead, have a seat. We're halfway done. Yeah, all right. Uh, how about this? Uh, Stand up if you think that cats... No, how'd that get it? That's, that's not in there. No, forget that one. We're, we're having fun, though, right? All right, here we go. Uh, three more, three more. Uh, they're going to get harder. Those were easy. We're going to get a little bit harder. And I don't want you just to react. I want you to be honest and, and, and try, to re, uh, try, to, try to respond with truth, all right, for yourself. Here we go. If you think, and we never know until we're in that situation, but if you think where you sit now... If you think that you would be willing to die rather than deny your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you think you would be willing to die for that, stand up. I know we all maybe hope that we would, and we don't know for sure until we're in it. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. That's a tougher one. That's harder, right? That's harder. How about this? If, if you think that you would be willing to die rather than stop sharing your faith with others in Jesus. Remember the story about Peter and John? They were arrested, and the leader said, stop talking about Jesus, or you're going you're gonna to have a lot of problems, right? If you would be willing to die, rather than stop sharing your faith, stand up. Okay, be honest. It's okay. Okay. Now, here's a, here's a quick heart check, right? If you're like, 
I don't share my faith now, and I'm not even in danger of death. Something to think about, right? Last one. If you would be willing to die rather than stop praying and worshiping God, like there was a law that was passed that made it illegal to pray and worship God under penalty of death, would the fear of death be enough to force you into compliance if you think you would be willing to die rather than stop praying and worshiping God? Stand up. It's a tough one. Okay. All right. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for playing. Stand up and sit down. Make sure you tell my wife you loved it. You did great. And I want to welcome you back to do hard things. And if you're winded right now, just so you know, that was not the hard thing for today. That was not it. We're talking this morning about standing up for truth. Standing up for truth. And that can be a hard and maybe even a scary thing sometimes. And when, when I use the word truth this morning, uh, I'm not talking about, you know, what do the fact checkers tell us or what's hashtag fake news. I'm None of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this, all right? This is truth. This is reliable. And so whenever we talk about truth this morning, I have two verses. If you don't know these by heart or at least know where to find them, you need to write these down and start working on memorizing them. 2 Timothy 3.16. It's on the screen. 2 Timothy 3.16. That all Scripture, all of it, beginning to end, all Scripture is god breathed, inspired by God through His Holy Spirit. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. And because of that, it is useful for some things. What to say? Teaching and rebuking and correcting, teaching us and training us in righteousness so that you and I can be thoroughly equipped to do good work for God. God-breathed. That's what this is. It's trustworthy, reliable because it comes from God. Here's the other one. Uh, 2 Peter 1.21 is another verse that would be really good for you to memorize. 2 Peter 1.21 says that no prophecy ever had its origin in the will of man. No prophecy ever had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God, here's the key phrase, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we have some insight into how this was done. Now sometimes God... Uh, may, had prophets uh, take down dic- dictation, like the, uh, the Old Testament, uh, the Ten Commandments. That's uh, something that God gave. There are other times when God said, write this down or say this. But a lot of times what we find in Scripture is somehow, through God's sovereignty, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God was able to keep intact the personality of the author who was writing, and yet, through the Spirit of God, They wrote down exactly what God intended them to write. It's an incredible thing. And the end result is that what we have is the Word of God, which means it's reliable, it is trustworthy, it's authoritative, it is a source of truth. And if we really believe that, then then we have to be willing to stand up for truth, even when it's hard to do. And one of my favorite examples uh, from the Bible of someone who was not afraid to stand up for truth was Daniel. I love Daniel's example. He's inspiring to me. 
Joseph is another one. We talked about Joseph, but Daniel's right there. He's one of my favorite examples. If you're not familiar with Daniel's story, Daniel was swept up from his home in Jerusalem as a young man, like teenage years. Uh, when the rise of Babylon was happening and Babylon came in and, and overthrew Jerusalem, they, uh, they gathered up, a lot of people died, but they gathered up a lot of uh, Jewish people and they took them off to Babylon and Daniel was one of them, relocated to Babylon during the rise of the Babylonian Empire. And uh, he was forced into a government-run school that had a mission to indoctrinate the students into Babylonian culture and Babylonian worldview. And uh, when you read through chapter 1 of the book of Daniel, you'll see that Daniel went to the school board, which really was just a guy named Ashpenaz. He was the guy in charge of the school. And he asked for permission not to defile himself with the assigned food program. Because for him, the Jewish diet was connected to his purity before God. And he didn't want to defile himself in that way. And so he went and he asked permission. This took a lot of courage to stand up for truth. Then we get to chapter 3 and we see his three Jewish friends refused to worship this huge idol that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar demanded everybody worship under penalty of death. And they refused to do it. They were willing to die rather than disobey God. And these are incredible stories of people doing hard things. But the story that I want to focus on with you this morning is in Daniel chapter 6. So if you would open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 6. When we, when we jump into this story, at this point, Daniel is over 80 years old. And uh, he's, he's been through a lot of amazing, incredible, and even difficult things. He lived through the rise and the fall of, of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, in chapter 6, the Persia is now uh, in charge. Uh, they've, they've taken over Babylon, and they're setting up a new government system. All right? So all these years, it's one government system, and then another empire rises, and now it's something new. And the government system that they set up uh, Darius sets up is 120, they call them satraps, they're like governors, throughout the Persian kingdom. And these 120 governors then have three administrators over top of them. And Darius is at the top, but you've got these uh, three administrators over the 120 governors. That was something new, that was something different. And Daniel was one of those administrators. Let's jump into verse 3. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Not only does he have capacity and skill, but look at this. It says, because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. It wasn't just his capacity. It wasn't just his leadership ability. Uh, in verse 4, we begin to see it's his integrity. The other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. Now, is that unusual to find a politician or a government official with corruption? Probably not unusual, and so they thought this will be easy. Let's find something in Daniel's 
uh, life that we can use against him. But it says they couldn't. They couldn't find anything to criticize him or to condemn him. Why? He was faithful. He was always responsible. He did his job and he did it well. He was completely trustworthy. They couldn't find any weakness in his character. He was a man of integrity. So he, he was skilled, he was a good leader, but he was a man of integrity. Verse 5 says, so they concluded. All right, we can't find any corruption in him. We have no leverage in his character to use against him. Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Here's what we know about Daniel, they, they concluded. He doesn't have anything corrupt in, in his life that we can use against him. So the only thing that we can do is to use his religion, his faith, against him. Because this is what we know about Daniel. If there's a conflict between the, the, the laws or our government, if there's some kind of conflict between uh, the, 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 the governmental system and his faith, Daniel's not going to abandon his faith. That's the only place that we can get him. That's what they concluded. And uh, so we see they put this, this plan together, and uh, it says in verse 6, So the administrators and the high officers went to the king, and they said this, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, pause, they start off with an absolute lie. This is an absolute lie. We know that because Daniel's one of the three administrators. He's not in on this plan. He wasn't consulted. They're trying to get him. They're trying to cancel him. They're trying to get him in bad favor with the king. And uh, it's very unlikely that they were able to have a big meeting with 120 governors and Daniel not catch wind of it. They lied. I know that's shocking that uh, people in the government would lie, but that's what happened here. So they lied, and they tried to manipulate the king, and it says, uh, we are all in agreement. The king should make a law that, we, that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. Now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked, even by the king. And it says in verse 9, which is curious to me, so King Darius signed a law. It doesn't say he debated it. It doesn't say, say that he slept on it. He just signed the law. All right, that's fine. Now, we know why these corrupt leaders lied. We know why they manipulated Darius. They were jealous of Daniel. They have a lust for power. We know why they did it, but why, why was Darius so quick to go along with this, so quick to sign this into law? It could have been a pride thing. It could be as simple as that. Maybe he liked the idea of everyone throughout the kingdom uh, praying just to him for 30 days. It could be a pride thing. I think it's also possible that this was sold to Darius as a good political strategy. The government, this is something different. 
right? The government was being decentralized. In other words, uh, it wasn't centralized, all the power and authority right there at the central government with, with Darius. They were decentralized. They were, uh, they were delegating authority out to 120 different places with different governors. And so it is possible that these guys, they, they sold this as a political strategy. Let's, we're decentralizing, we're delegating. Let's make sure no one forgets who's at the top. Let's do this to make sure no one forgets that even as we're delegating authority out, that there is still someone in Babylon who's in charge, and it's you, Darius. They could have sold it like that. Whatever the reason was, whatever reason, he just, I'll sign it. We need to look at how Daniel responds to the law that cannot be changed because we're going to find out that Darius wanted to change it. As soon as he found out that it affected Daniel, he wanted desperately to change it but couldn't. What happens? Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home. He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. No, no, no hesitation, no flinching. He just continued to do what he always did in his prayer and worship of God. Verse 11, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and they found him praying, asking for God's help. And of course, what do they do? They run off to, uh, to King Darius and they reminded him of, of this law. And oh, by the way, Daniel's violating it and he's got to go to the lion's den. Daniel goes to the upstairs room, prays with the window open without hesitation, with no fear of what would happen if someone saw him. Daniel violated the man-made law because he refused to disobey God's law. He refused to stop praying. He refused to stop worshiping God. And when I, when I read that, I wonder if there's not a little bit of a disconnect with us in this story. I wonder if there have been times in our lives where we have taken prayer for granted, where we have treated prayer like it's this last resort in times of trouble, rather than something that is woven so deeply into our daily lives that if you pulled that thread out, we would become unraveled. Prayer was such a part of Daniel's life that these corrupt leaders were able to leverage it against him. I wonder if that would be true of you and me. If we put ourselves into this story, look where we find Daniel. He's in his own home. And it's also important to understand that there's no Old Testament law, there's no Mosaic law that says thou must pray from the upstairs window facing Jerusalem three times a day. Which, which causes me to wonder, why not just close the window, Daniel? Why not just pray in secret? It's just a month. Just pray in secret. Daniel doesn't walk us through his reasoning as to why he continued to go to the window. 
right? He doesn't lay it out for us. And if you look at what he prays for, it says he's praying and asking for God's help. Is it possible? And I don't know, all right? It does, Daniel doesn't lay it out for us. Is it possible, though, that Daniel thought to himself, you know, every day, every day I go to that window to pray. And everyone knows who I'm praying to. Everyone knows that I'm praying to God. Right? These guys know. They're, they're using his faith against him. They're leveraging it against him. Everyone knows I'm praying to God. I've not been ashamed of my faith. Everyone knows my routine. They see me. They see me in that window every day, three times a day. What are they going to think? When they read about the 30-day law and then they look up in the window and I'm not there. What are they going to think about my faith? I don't know if that was his rationale or not. But based on uh, just watching Daniel's life in Scripture and watching it play out over 80 years, I wonder if that's maybe not why. You know, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, and you can look at it if you want. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says to the crowd, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you want to follow Jesus? You want to live a Jesus-centered life? You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You can't live a self-centered life if you want to live a Jesus-centered life. Those two things aren't compatible. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? If anyone, here's the key, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. That's challenging, isn't it? When Jesus said that following Him requires you and I to take up our cross, He was painting a picture of discipleship as being something that's hard. That's not just a, 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 a weekend activity that we do in our leisure. It's more than just enjoying an hour of worship on the weekends because we've got nothing better to do. Jesus said, following him is going to cost us something. Now, for Daniel, it cost him the possibility of death. Now, we know as the story plays out, God rescues him, which is an amazing, uh, an amazing part of the story. Uh, he's thrown into the lion's den, and uh, there's uh, this, this uh, angel of God that shows up and keeps the lions from eating him. It's an amazing miracle, right? He survives. God rescues, God rescues Daniel. But you understand, he didn't know that that was going to happen whenever he went to the window. He wasn't sure. God didn't tell him uh, that he was going to rescue him. And so for Daniel, it very well, in his mind, could have cost him his life, and he was willing to do that. He had come to the same conclusion that his friends had come to back in chapter 3. When they refused to worship the huge idol, their conclusion was this. They said, 
Now, God can save us. God can rescue us. We know that He can. But even if He doesn't, we will not dishonor God. And Daniel had the same conclusion. And I understand that Daniel's experience was, was thousands of years ago, different historical contexts than ours, different cultural contexts, different government contexts, different legal systems. There's a lot of differences, right, between Daniel's life experience and ours, but there's a lot of similarity. There's some things from Daniel's story that we can relate to. Primarily, one of the things we can relate, relate to is just corruption in government. We can relate to that. A lust for power. We see it play out every day. A desire to cancel people that don't worship what they're told to worship by those who have power, by those who have influence. We can relate to that. George Yancey is a sociology professor at Baylor University, and he's done a lot of research in discrimination and uh, persecution of, uh, of Christians and, and other religious groups. Uh, one of his books, I love this title, So Many Christians, So Few Lions. Isn't that a cool title? In, in that book, in his research, he reveals that 32% of Americans... Now, we understand, across the world, persecution is happening on a daily basis, and people are dying, right? It's terrible in other places in the world when it comes to persecution. But in America, the American experience, 32% of Americans, according to his research, have a dislike towards Christians, right? A dislike, a distaste. But what he found in that 32% is that most of that 32%, it's more than just a distaste or a dislike. It's an absolute hatred. It's an absolute hatred. In fact, some of the quotes that I read uh, that he found, uh, people that would respond to his research, uh, is some pretty terrible things that people say about what they wish would happen to Christians in America. Among that 32%, the other thing that he found is that most of them are wealthy, they are politically liberal, and they have a lot of influence and a lot of power. And it explains a lot, right? This research explains a lot. It explains, uh, especially like in the world of academics, it explains why a conservative Christian in the academic world has a hard time finding a job, has a really hard time getting a promotion, has a really hard time getting any kind of funding for research, in fact, there are those uh, within the academic world that, that are very vocal ab about their belief that Christian schools should not have any accreditation. Like that's, They should have no accreditation. They're not valid schools. It explains why Harvard just announced that uh, their head chaplain, did you see this? Their head chaplain at Harvard is an atheist. He's a humanist. He's in charge of the chaplains. Now, just to give you a historical context of that, Harvard's original creed was for Christ and the church. Like, that's on their, their crest. When, the, when Harvard was first started, for Christ and the church was their creed. And they just hired as their head of chaplains an atheist, a humanist. Explains a lot, doesn't it? Explains why so many in the media are openly hostile towards Christians. So if you've got one group of people, let's say a religious group or 
uh, some other group of people that they experienced something unpleasant. They experienced discrimination or they experienced uh, something uh, hostile towards them. Uh, if it's a group of Christians, they couldn't care less. They believe they kind of deserve it. But if it's another group, their hair catches on fire. It explains why this is happening. And there's lots of examples. I just picked out a few uh, that are a little more well-known, but uh, one of them would be Jack Phillips. Jack Phillips is a master cake baker in Colorado. You probably know this story, right? He was sued twice. One of them went to the Supreme Court. The second one probably is headed there. First time, he was sued because he refused to decorate a cake for a same-sex wedding. He didn't want to have a part in celebrating that. And he was sued and went to the Supreme Court, and he won that in court. And just recently, I think it was this, this year, uh, earlier this year, he was sued again because he refused to make a cake for a transgender transition party. Wouldn't do it. And uh, he, he was sued again. That will work its way through the court system as, as well. And I was reading down through some articles about it, and uh, in both cases, the, is, you wonder, what, is this like the only cake shop in all of, you know, within 50, 20, 10 miles of these people? And the answer is no. That's not why they did it. They're, they're very adamant or unashamed the fact that they went there to call his bluff. That was a quote. Uh, we went there to call his bluff to see if he really would uh, stand in what he said he would, uh, what he believed. Uh, they went there to destroy a Christian's uh, livelihood. Tanner Cross is a teacher in Loudoun County, Virginia. He was put on administrative leave, and I think this past week maybe they, the court uh, reinstated him, but uh, he was put on administrative leave for refusing to affirm the transgender policies of the school. Here's a quote from Tanner Cross. I love all my students, but I will never lie to them regardless of the consequences. I am a teacher, but I serve God first. I will not affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it's against my religion. It's lying to a child. It's abuse to a child. It's sinning against God. And, and there were two other teachers in that same uh, school district that also are at risk. They took similar stances and uh, are at risk at losing their jobs as well. In recent years, this is not an exhaustive list, just trying to pick out some, some recent examples. There was a teacher in New Jersey that was suspended for giving a student a Bible. There was a football coach in Washington placed on leave for praying with his players. A Marine was court-martialed for posting a Bible verse above her desk. Uh, I, I remember watching these, uh, these hearings live. Maybe some of you watched them live a couple years ago uh, when some federal judges and even some Supreme Court judges were... Uh, we're going through the process of uh, being questioned in these hearings in Congress. Did you watch some of these? And there were some questions given to those who were people of faith that were uh, condescending, demeaning, uh, and uh, questioning whether or not they either had the capacity to be a judge because of their faith or uh, that, uh, that they, just, they weren't qualified because of their faith. That's the line of questioning that they were getting hit with in some of those, some of those hearings. I watched it play out. Uh, Christian college students on secular campuses across the country 
are, uh, are often ridiculed. They're called haters and bigots and homophobes, uh, dangerous. This is just, it's just an example, right? A set of examples to make the point that we are living, America, we are living in a post-Christian secular culture. Uh, I know that there's a desire for us to be a Christian nation, and we're not. We're not. And and maybe you could say at some point in in the past that the Christian values dominated the culture, but that's not where we are now. We live in a post-Christian secular culture, and the worldview of our culture is in direct conflict with a biblical worldview. It's just a reality. We are living in a time of hard choices. A time when a biblical worldview is not just unpopular, it is viewed as dangerous. A time when our Christian faith may very well put us in violation of the law. It could very well result in the loss of a job, the loss of the opportunity for a promotion. These are real-world things that people are experiencing in America. And the hard question that I think we have to be prepared to answer, and we might be different questions, right? I'm not going to get fired as a pastor for doing the right thing, but I very well at some point could be in violation of the law if some of the laws that are being proposed when it comes to uh, hiring practices, when it comes to same-sex marriage requirements, there are things that that people in influence want to see happen, right? That's a possibility for me. But for some of you, uh, there are things, some of you are teachers, right? Some of you are in places in which this could touch you. And the hard question we have to be prepared to answer, are we willing to obey God no matter what the cost? Are we willing to suffer that loss? Are we prepared to accept the loss that may result from obeying God, from honoring God's word, when there is a conflict between God's truth and and man's influence or or man's law. And I look at Daniel's example, and it, 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 it hits me hard because he was prepared to die, to die rather than give up prayer. And I wonder if that rattles you a little bit. It rattles me. The law that Daniel violated, listen, it wasn't, he, he wasn't de- they weren't demanding that he perform an abortion, right? You're like, no, there's no way I would do that. I'd rather die than do that. Okay. They weren't demanding that of him. They weren't, they weren't uh, requiring him to teach racism to kids. They weren't, they weren't uh, requiring him to perform a same-sex marriage. This law that Daniel violated was to stop praying, to stop worshiping God, and he was prepared to die for that. And I wonder if that's how we treat prayer. I wonder if if that's how we treat worship, that it's so important to us that we would be willing to die than to stop honoring God in that way. This has been uh, probably a couple months now. I was just in my daily quiet time. I, I read this in Hebrews, and it's really kind of hit me when I read it, and it's, it's been kind of stuck in my mind and on my heart for a while. Read this with me in Hebrews chapter 10. Would you go there? We're, we're done in Daniel for today. Hebrews chapter 10. 
The writer of Hebrews addresses people who are being persecuted, like legit, like they're dying kind of persecution, and it's tough, and it's hard things. And he's addressing uh, just a response, like how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you have the courage to keep going and all this kind of thing? And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, the writer says this, Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule. All right, well, we, we can relate to some of that maybe. Uh, sometimes you were beaten. I don't think we've experienced that yet. And, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same thing. Watch this. You suffered along with those who were thrown in the jail. And this is the one, I guess, that kind of hit me. And when all you owned, when your property was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. And I guess maybe that's where I was like, oh, man, could I do that? Could I accept that? People taking your property, your liberty for your faith, because of your faith, could I accept that with joy? Or would I want to fight I'm praying through that one. That one's tough. You knew. Here, here's how they were able to do it. Because they, they weren't just stuck in the moment of, this is my stuff, don't take it. It says they knew there were better things waiting for them that will last forever. They had an eternal perspective that this is all temporary. And whatever I have here doesn't compare to what I have waiting for me in heaven with Jesus. And so it's worth it. That was their perspective. That's challenging. What do we do with it? What do we, what do, we do with this? I mean, how, how do you and I stand for truth in a culture that has categorically rejected truth? Uh, how do we do that? I have four things I'll offer that I hope will be helpful to you. Four things real quick. Number one, keep your eyes, keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Look at chapter 12. Again, he's, he's addressing in Hebrews this persecution that they're enduring, and he says in chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, these are people that lived it, they lived hard things, they did hard things, they've set an example. He says, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that easily traps us or trips us up. Let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us, whatever life brings, and we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And here's our example. Jesus is the example. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. He endured its shame so that you and I could have eternal life. He, Jesus, is our example of doing hard things. You think about Daniel and Jesus, uh, there's some similar things that they experienced. They both were set up by jealous leaders. They both were arrested while in prayer. Uh, Jesus was also given a death sentence, but the difference is Jesus actually died, right? And he had to die. He had to die in order to be that sinless sacrifice that would appease the wrath of God against our sin. And because of, this is the point in Hebrews, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
uh, our faith in Jesus as our forgiver, our faith in Jesus as our Savior from sin, not only does it rescue us from that sin, from the punishment of hell that we deserve, not only does it do that, but the point here is it's that courage. It also, that gospel message is the courage. It's the source of our courage to endure hardship, to endure persecution, to endure discrimination, because we've got this eternal perspective, because we know there's something better on the other side of it. The hardship, the loss, the rejection, it's temporary, and it'll all be worth it when we see Jesus. That's the point in Hebrews. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Second thing, prepare yourself with prayer and worship. When I look at Daniel's example, his, his faith was not this, this casual weekend experience. That's not who Daniel was. Daniel's faith was woven into his everyday life so deeply, so to the point where if you removed that thread, he would have come unraveled. And I wonder if that's how we would describe our faith. And I'll say this just as... Uh, as it's going to be direct, I know, and I mean it with love. If you're not pursuing a Jesus-centered life when you are not facing opposition, what in the world makes you think that you will pursue or be able to hang on to a Jesus-centered life when you do? If, if you're not experiencing it now, if you're not experiencing pushback, praise God, Now's the time to prepare yourself. Now's the time to make sure you are pursuing with your whole self a Jesus-centered life so that when you do experience discrimination, pushback, persecution in any form, you'll be prepared because it will matter so much to you that you won't be willing to dishonor God. You'll be, you'll be ready to experience loss. And the third thing is this, prepare yourself with the truth. And we talk about truth. Are you willing to stand up for the truth? If you're not actively, daily, intentionally building a biblical worldview by studying the Word of God and knowing what the Bible teaches, knowing what God values, knowing what His boundary lines are, like if you're not pursuing that intentionally, you're not going to have courage. You're not going to have conviction to stand for truth. It's not going to matter to you more than your job. It's not going to matter to you more than your pro property or your popularity. It's not going to matter to you more than your seat at the lunch table or your freedom, certainly not your life. But if you are preparing yourself by uh, investing and intentionally building a biblical worldview that you have a core conviction that this is true, then you're going to be better prepared to be willing to suffer loss if there's a conflict. Here's the fourth thing. Fourth thing is just be light in a dark world. The people who hated Daniel, the first thing they did was look for corruption in his life, and they couldn't find it because he was living light in a dark world. All they found when they started looking, how can we get this guy? How can we cancel this guy? How can we get rid of him? All they found was someone committed to his faith so deeply, they knew he would be willing to suffer loss rather than abandon his faith. That's what they found when they looked at Daniel's life. That's who I want to be. I, I hope that's who I will be. 
If that's who you want to be, if you want to be like Daniel, if you want to be a follower of Christ that is living what you say you believe, you, you want to be that Christian who's willing to suffer loss for your faith, to stand for truth no matter what it costs you. If you want to ask God right now to help you be that Christian, would you stand up?